We are going to be heading to the book of Ephesians as we do our topic this evening. If you haven't been with us, the last few weeks what we've been talking about is this series called Getting a Grip and dealing with a number of different issues, and it's become more counseling than it is preaching through a text. We're going to wrap this up in a couple weeks, and then we're launch into a verse-by-verse study, chapter-by-chapter through the book of Acts. But I wanted to finish up on this getting a grip, talking about the topic of parenting. And uh, then I want to wrap it up with how to grow old wisely in one of the evenings before we uh, get into the series on in the the month of June. And so what we want to be talking about this evening is picking up where we were in the last few weeks. And as I've mentioned this about parenting, I use the illustration where I grew up in Minnesota. My dad had a gas station and that one of the things that was very important is when we were going to work on a car to bring the car and line it up with the hoist so that it got lifted up and it didn't fall off the hoist as we've demonstrated here. Some cars do as as if they're not on that hoist properly. So in the same way, we need to be lining up with the Word of God so that we're doing what's right lest we crash or and or we hurt our families. So we've been talking about, in some of this series, we've been talking about different roles of different people. And the one that we came to is the role of parents. And I remind you that in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 21, he talks about submitting yourselves one to another. Then he launches off and talks about husbands. Then he talks about wives. Then he talks talks about parents, and then he talks about children, and then he talks about workers, and talks about the masters. As we've been pointing out, the word that is used, submitting one, uh, yourselves one to another, has this idea of like in the military. You take your assigned spot. You fill in the rank, or you go to your assigned position if you were supposed to defending that door, or that door, or some other spot. And so it's basically the idea of submitting yourselves has this concept that you are going to agree with God that what you're going to do is fulfill the assignment that he's given you. And so with that in mind, we've been talking about what are the assignments that parents, and including that with grandparents, and we've talked about the husband's assignment, the wife's assignment, the kid's assignments. And so the one we've been talking about now in the last couple weeks is what about the parents? We've pointed out from a variety of passages that some of the assignments go this way, to be the provider, to be the protector. We've given those verses. We talked about the idea of being a promoter, not being one who frustrates their children or angers their children, or as in our King James, provoke not your children to wrath, but rather you're supposed to be bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, being an encourager. Teach the young woman to love their children, literally to be a child lover, Titus uh, is telling the peoples, the older ladies teach the younger people. And then last week, we spent time looking at the pattern, being an example, and how the scriptures talks about training up a child in the way he should go. Literally, the word is to point, to give direction to, or to lead somebody that direction. So as a pattern for your kids, as well as the same concept, bring them up in the nurture admonition of the Lord. That bring up has that same idea, pointing to, leading the way, providing a pattern. What I want to talk about tonight is something that is very practical. It deals with all different ages. I'm not going to get into a lot of the nitty-gritty because there's just not enough time, but I want to give some basic principles about being an authority in your child's life. By the way, this goes in classroom. This goes in parenting. It's this idea of being an authority. It is based on two different passages of Scripture. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, what does he command children to do? In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Children do what? Obey your parents for this in the Lord, for this is right. He goes on. What else are they supposed to do? Honor. 
honor their parents, okay? <clears throat> the same thing is given in the book of Colossians. The same concept where it says, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is right and well-pleasing to the Lord. Okay, so this tells us what children are to do. Now follow through. We talked about this on a Sunday morning when we talked about kids. But listen to this, let this process. The word that is used there for obey has the idea of listening under, hearing under, is putting themselves in a spot where they're not just having noise, but they are listening to you and doing what you're telling them. The idea of the word honor is this idea as to lift up, to elevate, to really respect, consider as priceless. So we look at that and say, okay, this is what kids are supposed to do. By virtue of implication, what are the parents supposed to be doing? If the kids are to be listening to the parents, what must the parents be doing? They must be talking to them. They must be communicating to them. If children are supposed to follow a parent's orders, what does that tell you the parent's supposed to be doing? Giving orders. Giving direction. If they're supposed to be respecting, then you want to live in such a way that you're being respectful. But we're focusing on this evening, this concept of your children are to obey you. That means you must be speaking to them. You must be directing them. You must be giving them some sense of what they're supposed to be doing. So with that in mind, what we want to be talking about is that you understanding as parents, this is a really important role. A tremendous role that you're supposed to be assuming over the children that are in your household. Now, in the modern day, we understand that this isn't, com this isn't popular. But God tells the children on more than one occasion, he did it in the Old Testament, does it in the New Testament, obey your parents. It is in God's mind that parents are to be leaders. Parents are to be giving as an authority in the home, telling kids what to do giving them the direction, giving them that leadership, giving them that management. In fact, it is so important that if your children don't learn to respect you, that is going to have tremendous impact on how they treat other authorities in their lives because you're the first authority. In fact, they recognize you as the authority before they even recognize the concept of God. So if they don't know how to respond to you with obedience, with respect, how is that going to affect them spiritually? They're going to have an attitude that's not going to be respectful and obedient to the Lord. They're going to have a struggle with respect and obedience to other authorities in their life. You are the primary person to be teaching your kids how to be respectful and how to obey the authorities in their life. And so God's given you this role. God's given it to you as an assignment. Please embrace it. And I say that because in dealing with different peoples, talking to people, I've run into a lot of people more and more as time has gone by. You know, serving counseling is a whole lot different 40 years ago than it is today. There's issues we're dealing with today that we never thought we would deal with 40 years ago when it comes to family. And so some people even say, I don't want to be the heavy. I don't want to be the boss. I want to be a friend to my child. Okay, that's going to come in time. But your first role is to be their authority, a good God example authority in their life. That idea of, okay, I want to be my, the buddy to the kids, that can be devastating. 
if, if you don't embrace the role of being an authority, and if you do this biblically, you're going to start as the authority, you're going to become their friend, their advisor, their coach in a period of time. And if they've listened to you then, they'll listen to you later on. But in the process of dealing with as parent, establish in your mind, I need to be the authority. I need to be the one giving direction. I need to be the one that is helping these children to learn to obey rules, to be respectful towards others. So what does this require you to do? I'm going to be extremely practical. Okay, I'm not going to give multiple verses, but just talk from this, what we just had said so far, and jump into some practical areas. That means if God, if you are going to be the God-given authority in your child's life, you need to set rules and standards for your family. You set the agenda for the household. You do not let the children set the agenda for the household. You set the rules. You do not let the children establish the rules when it comes to what they're going to eat, what they're going to wear what they're going to do. Yeah, there's going to be some conversation and dialogue, but you are the authority in these areas about behavior and manners and different things of that sort. You don't allow the kids to run the home in their schedule, in their mind. Have you ever been in a restaurant and see a two-year-old dictating to parents? Has it ever happened? And then the two-year-old or the three-year-old is in total control, and what do the parents often try to do? They are pacifying. They are compromising. They are begging the child to please do whatever. That is not the concept of being an authority. The authority is what you want to do is you want to, with agreement with your spouse, if it's a two-parent home, you want to, in agreement, set standards, set rules, set up the plans of how you're going to function in this home. But make sure you're being reasonable. Whatever your rules are, whatever your standards are, whatever your goals are, be extremely reasonable. I've given you the illustration before about the one time that I had my one son. I gave him the rule. He's supposed to hang his stuff up here at church. He didn't do it. I was going to correct him for disobeying. And then he just he piped out in tears. I couldn't reach the hangers. My rule of hanging up the coat was not reasonable for a three-year-old to reach the hangers here. And sometimes we do that. We tell our kids to do things that, you know, clean up your room to my standard of cleaning. That's not reasonable for a child. Okay, so you want to be training them, but you have to be reasonable. They're not going to clean the same way. I mean, give, give a child a lawnmower. Do you have skips in the lawn? Okay, so you have to be training, but you understand you want to be reasonable here. But I'm going to set up the standards, and you're going to adjust the standards. They have to be adjusted based on the ages in the household. I know when we grew up, I grew up in a home where there were six kids. There was five real blessings and one sister. Um, so we grew up in this household, and those of us, those who were on the younger end, thought they should have the same privileges. They were only in preschool when the, some were in the teenage years. It doesn't work that way. They have to be adjusted, some of the rules, some of the standards. And so you're being reasonable, you're responding and saying, hey, I'm dealing with my kids, and as I deal with them, if they can have more responsibility, great. If not, I'm going to pull back. But when you're establishing rules, please keep this in mind. This is, just a, this is a vital principle that you should mark down in some, some place, especially if you have younger children in your home. Mark this down and keep this in your mind as you're doing rules. There's an adage that goes this way. Relationship without rules will be rebel, end up with a rebellious child. That is, I want to please my child. They can do whatever. I just love them, and they have no limitations. You're going to have a child that's going to be just running rampant. 
as well, and this is where we get to, rules without a relationship also breeds rebellion. That is, I'm an authority, but I'm dictatorial. I'm on their case. I am I'm harsh, but I have no relationship with them. I am not being the promoter. I am not being the encourager. I'm just being, you know, you be quiet. You, you do whatever I say. And it's very harsh and demanding. That usually produces rebellion. Which one is going to create righteousness? When you put it together, relationship with rules. That's exactly what God did with Israel. Do you remember how he started off with the nation of Israel? You are my chosen people. I am your, and what family member does he keep on saying, I am to you? I am your father. And he gave them rules. Did he not give the Jews rules? Yes. But he had a relationship with them. And so with relationship with rules that are balanced, that is your best method and mode for success. So you're going to establish some rules and standards. Number two, you're going to explain your rules and standards. You're going to set them up in the house. And you're going to say, here's how we're going to operate in the house. But when you explain this, you want to make sure that you're doing it more than a passing comment, especially as they get into teen years. You want to make sure you're explaining our rules for curfew, for whatever, or for the use of the vehicle, different things, how they use their media devices. Explain your rules. Make sure that you have them. And you've talked about what are we going to do. We're going to have, maybe some of you are wisely saying, we're going to have media-free moments in our house. We're going to shut down all devices. And so you're going to explain to your kids, we're shutting down devi devices. There's going to be one night where there's no devices. That includes you too. We're going to do this so that the kids aren't just absolutely addicted to it. And we can function and we can talk as a family. Maybe do some games, do some interaction. But we're going to set up these standards. Explain the standards. Have them, let them know why you're doing it. Do you never notice through Proverbs? He not only tells us what he's talking about as far as standards for, let, let's pick a standard of, of somebody who is gossiping. Proverbs will say you should not gossip and then he'll give you a reason why. He'll say about the idea of don't get into drunkenness, and then they'll give you a reason why. Especially as children get over, older, explain the principle why we adopted this practice. We're explaining this to you. I'm going to take the time. We're going to explain it. And then if you're giving a rule to a youngster or to a teenager, get some type of verbal confirmation that they understood or they at least heard you. Have you ever done this in the house? You're walking through... And the kids are watching TV or they're on their device. And you're saying, hey, before I get back, I want you to do such and such. And you walked out and you said it, but they just went, uh-huh. And then when you come home, they go, oh, we didn't hear you. It's very simple. Get a verbal confirmation. Did you hear what I said? What did I tell you to do? It adds another five seconds to the, to the conversation, but it's important for establishing rules, and then it, it impacts the next one. The next thought that's very important, expect obedience and respect from your children. Let me explain what I mean. This is very important. Your children are supposed to obey and respect you. You should expect it. Now, I understand that we know by nature our children, by nature, wanting to obey parents. By nature. 
No. Romans chapter 1, when it's talking about sinful things they do, and it adds to the end of the list, disobedience to their parents. It's within the, the spiritual nature of youngsters that they want to do their own thing. By the way, we were there. And we still struggle with that. And so it's by their nature they don't want to obey. But I think this is training you more than it's training their kids. You think, I want, I expect my children to listen to me. And the reason I say it's more important to train yourself this way is you have seen it, and so have I. Parents will do this. They'll be in conversation with somebody, and they'll say, put your shoes on. They'll be in conversation. They'll say to the child, I want you to pick up such and such. The child's oblivious to what mom and dad is saying. And the parents are oblivious to the child not listening. Have you ever seen this happen? That the child is just doing their own thing. The child is still functioning in their own realm. And the parent has not expected their child to listen to them. And so then the parent will just turn around after a bit and say, Oh, oh, where are you? What did you do? They didn't expect their children to obey. And yet from the Word of God, when God commands, what does He expect from us? Obedience. Obedience. Train yourself to expect obedience from your child. Now, you know it's not going to be perfection. You know that there may be some hesitation at times. But train your mind that if you give a command, if you give a command, then they should be doing it. And if you're just giving command after command after command and they're not doing it, you're training them. You've trained them to do what? Not listen to you. Just tune you out. That's not going to work. And, and if you're God's representative of saying, okay, you're supposed to obey me in the sense that you're obeying God, and they learn from a spiritual point of view by your demonstration that what God says I can tune out. I'll, I'll listen to the guy on Sunday, and he'll give all kinds of things, but we don't have to. It's not that important. They learn that from somebody. So you train yourself. You say, okay, I'm going to work on this idea that I expect my children to obey. Then don't make all these excuses for disobedience or rebellion. And there's so many excuses that parents make. When the child doesn't listen, when the teen acts up, there's excuses that come up, and some of them are legitimate. I understand. I'm not saying they're all not legitimate. But after a while, it's like, hey, Joe Schmo here, his kids never listen to him. It's a pattern that the kids are just running all over him, and they're not listening. And then when you say something, Joe, you know, your child just disobeyed. The comments are, oh, they're hungry. They're tired. They're, they're a two-year-old. They're a teenager. They're a boy. Boys never listen. I was waiting for amens. Nobody, nobody responded on that. Ladies, I gave you a chance. Is it, is it reasonable that sometimes children don't listen because they're hungry? Does that happen? Okay, does it happen that sometimes when your child is tired, they get more cranky? Yes, no? Does it happen to you? Some of you right now, feeling that moment, okay. But have you ever run into people that this is an excuse time and time and time again for children not listening? 
It's because mom and dad have trained themselves. My kids don't listen to me. Well, you know, there's, we'll find an excuse. You are training your child to say, I don't have to listen to God, and I can give excuse after excuse. So you want to be training them in a sense. Now, here, let me ask you a question very practically. Are you one of those type of parents that you say, okay, I want you to uh, uh, give me something that they can do, that you tell your kids to do? Okay. Uh, we'll go back to shoes. Put your shoes on. One, two, three, four, four and a half, four and three quarters, four and seven eighths. Now I've got to figure out mathematically how to make it even longer because they're not obeying me. What have you trained your child? They don't have to obey you until you hit the magic number. Now some of you don't do it that way. You do decibel training. Okay? Do you know what that means? Okay. The volume gets louder and louder. And they know they don't have to move until you hit the jumbo jet. When you hit that volume, then they better. Or you hit their middle name. Wayne Anthony at a certain volume. And then it's like, okay. Your children have you and you have trained them. Obedience is not important until boom. Is that the way God works with us? Yes or no? Does God say, okay, I want you to get baptized. I'm going to one, two, three, four and a half. Okay. If anyone knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And so if you're going to portray God as an authority in their life, you establish authority and you say, okay, I want you to obey. How often do I have to tell them? Is it legitimate that sometimes they didn't hear you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Could they have been preoccupied and they were tuning you out and, and they didn't mean it in rebellion? Yes, Okay, we know that. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the idea that you have made this a pattern that just you're functioning with accounting or a discipline and you're training your children that there doesn't have to be immediate obedience. But the Word of God says there needs to be. There ought to be. You ought to expect it. Let me give you another thought here. Enforce obedience. Enforce obedience and respect by taking steps to correct them when they don't do it. Okay, there's, oh, there's so much here. Okay, this is what God does for us. When we don't obey God, does he just say, oh, well, it wasn't that important? Is that how God operates? Yes or no? Okay, if we don't obey God, what does he do with you? How, do, how does he start working in you to... Okay, he, he might convict you. He might use other people. If you still don't respond, what happens in your heart? Does the conviction increase? Typically, yes. What might happen eventually? Okay, there could be some type of correction and it could be moving up a scale. Okay, in that same way, you and I as parents, if we're dealing with our children, is we're saying, okay, what we need to understand is there are times where we're going to have to enforce some type of correction to get them to follow and be more obedient, more compliant to what we're telling them. And many people respond in modern day, many people respond, they say, ooh, and I'm going to use the word, discipline my child? Discipline my child? Are Strike my child? That's cruel. 
abuse. Let me remind you about a truth here. Discipline is not something you do to your child. It is something you are doing for the child. There's a huge difference here. It's when we were correcting and training and disciplining our children, we weren't doing it just to strike, just to cause. We were discipling them, which is a whole other topic. That's, I'm going to get back to that in a few moments. Let me, let me jump into a couple of thoughts, and I'll reverse back to the enforcing. Support each other's authority in the home. Please, 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 please support each other in the, in the authority. In other words, what we're talking about is you never diminish your child's respect for your spouse if you're in a two-family home. You never have these statements that, that would undercut the partner's rules. If you have a problem with your partner's rules, talk about it in private. Do not make these statements like, hey, kids, you don't need to listen to your dad. He's not around, so we can just break the rules. Never do that. Never do that. Never diminish the other person's authority, the other person's respect. You don't do this. You don't make a comment like, well, they're expecting too much. I know there's the rare, rare, rare case if there's child abuse taking care of them. There's, then then there's, that's a whole other ballgame. But in the sense where you're working as a partner, never diminish the other authority's rules. In my concept, and I shared this with you before, I don't think I should be diminishing any authority in my child's life. If I disagree with their teacher, I want to still verbally in front of my child be supportive of the teacher. I want to be verbally supportive of a police officer, whatever, and just get that concept. If there's an extreme case, then we know that's, that's the exception to the rule. But we want to be supportive of authority. In our family, we want to be a supportive of the other person's authority. And uh, if I have an issue, and my wife was very gracious about this, if we were disciplining, if we were dealing with something, she would say, can I talk to you in private for a second? And then we would go and discuss and figure out how we're going to deal with it and then come back, but working as a team. Does that take time? Absolutely. It's not fun, but we're investing in our children. We're doing for our children, not to our kids. And so in this idea that you want to be very, very supportive of the other person and do not, do not, do, this happens so many, especially when parents are separate. When there's divorce or separation, isn't it common that they're vying for the affection of the kids? And one of them becomes very lax so that the kids can... Don't do that in your home when you're together. Just be very, very cautious. One other thought, then I'm going to jump back to the discipline area. Maintain your parental authority over the years. Okay, listen to this one, follow this through a little bit. Okay, maintain your parental authority is you're establishing the authority and you want to develop independence in your child. But think through, how quickly am I developing their independence? Am I giving them too much choice too early? I want them to have choice. But if I'm giving them too much choice too early, can I create a problem? Let me, let me see if I can illustrate it this way. Okay? You have a two-and-a-half-year-old. You wake him up on the morning. 
And you're, you want to just, you, oh, let's have a wonderful day. We're going to have a beautiful day. And it's going to be pleasant in the neighborhood. And I want you to come. What would you like to wear today? And so you get whatever the child wants to wear. What would you like to put on your shoe for shoes today? Whatever the child wants to put on their shoes. You walk into the kitchen and you're having a wonderful morning. And says, what would you like to eat for breakfast this morning? Oh, you would like that. Okay, what color bowl do you want? What color your sippy cup do you want? What spoon do you want? How much milk do you want? Nothing evil about any of that. Right? Nothing evil, except for this. Then after you've given them all these choices, what would you like to watch on TV? What would you like to do while you're eating? Da-da, da-da, da-da. And then they say, I want to, and you go, no. But all morning long, who's been given their choices? What has, the, what has the two and a half year old been learning all morning? I get whatever I want. I get, I get, this is my day. I'm Hershey Park happy in my house. I am given all kinds of choices for everything. And then all of a sudden, mom and dad say no. And the child gets frustrated. But you've given them all the choices. You've been teaching they can have all the choices they want. There needs to be some type of maintaining parental control. It is not wrong at times just to say, I want you to wear this. I'm going to give you this, you know, this is the cup you're going to use. And you're blending some choice with some things you decide for a simple reason. It, you don't care what color cup they're drinking out of. Who cares? But I want to be training them that they don't have all the choices and all the say. Does that make any sense to you? Okay, that I'm teaching them, I'm training them, that there are certain things that they are going to do whether they like it or not. Because this is... There's an old phrase that people use, and I hated it and you did too, but it's really appropriate. They say, they say, you know, why do I have to do that? Because I said so. Does that make sense? Okay, you maintain an authority. For no other reason than I'm maintaining an authority. I'm not trying to be cruel. I'm training. And I'm teaching. While they can have some choices, I want to be careful how much, how quickly in the choices. Okay, so there's the other one that happens at, you know, there's that idea of limiting that we said, and I've already said this. Be careful with asking your kids to obey you. I know that we're supposed to be respectful to kids. I encourage you to do that. We should have politeness. But what's wrong with these type of parental orders? Whoops. Okay, what's wrong with this? Let me get to the rest, but I want to be. What's wrong with the orders? Do you mind putting away your toys? What's wrong with, would you be willing to clean up your room? What's wrong with, how about turning off the TV? Okay? You meant it as an order. You gave, them, you gave them an option. You gave them an option. Be careful how you phrase things. Be careful of requesting obedience when you want obedience. And this is an order. You can say it kindly. Okay, they, you know, um, this, this, uh, this idea that goes right along with this with choice. Now let's talk about teenagers. Okay, I want to still maintain authority. But my teens have a lot more liberty. They've got the car. They've got 
times where they can be out later. They've got times where they can go different places. But my kids had this thing that they would do this. A little on, they would, they would do it. It's probably because of the sin nature from the Carlson side of the family. Um, but they would, they would come and they would say, I'm going over to so-and-so's house. We're going to study. Or, y'all, I'm going to take the car. We're going to go down Dairy Queen. And my response was always, are you asking or are you telling me? Because of that, and that became our mantra in our house, that we would use that. I didn't care if they went to Dairy Queen. I'm glad they're going to go to a friend's house and study. They don't do my house. Go to a friend's house and study. You know, great, I'm excited. You're finally going to open a book. Yes. But in maintaining authority, what do I want to get across? You need to ask. You need to ask. And so in our home, it was, are you asking or telling? And they go, Dad. And it was like, yes. Yeah. And then they would go, I'm over, going over to so-and-so's house to study. Is that okay? Yes. I love you. Yeah. You know, you don't mind if I take the car and go to Dairy Queen. Not as long as you remember to bring me something back. You can have it. That's great. But it's, it's even in the teen years, I want to maintain, not domination, but I want to maintain communication, communication with authority. So that they understand just because they got a car license doesn't mean they're a full-blown adult that can have total freedom. That's what I think the Bible encourages me. They had a totally different idea. And so it was that matter of, okay, let's talk this through. So when we talk about what does the Bible say about enforcing obedience and respect, let, let's make a comparison. And when I stop, I'm just going to stop. We'll pick up in a couple weeks on this one because uh, the teens will be joining us in a few moments. What about discipline? The world's idea of discipline is to punish. And they focus on the punishment, period. From a biblical point of view, when we look at discipline, we're not emphasizing punishment that we're going to use it. What are we emphasizing? The training aspect. We're emphasizing, we're trying to disciple them. We're trying to bring change into their life. We're trying to help them to overcome lack of self-control, lack of uh, you know, the anger, the inconsiderateness of other people. We're trying to deal with that. We're trying to disciple. We're trying to build them up. That means... I've got to give greater thought, I've got to have greater restraint, and I need to invest more time in dealing with children when they do wrong than the world does. Does that make any sense to you? The world's response is just, just do something quickly, and then, no, no, we've, I've got to be restrained, restrained, I've got to think this through. What am I wanting to get out of them? And it's going to take more time. Biblical training with a child, correction, discipline, is a whole lot more than just whacking the kid. Do you remember, do you remember how, you know, the old adage, give him a, you know, slap him across the side of the head. I learned something during the missions conference. I learned something you may want to do, may want to use. In, you know, one of the missionaries was telling me that when he was in Papua New Guinea, when they, would, uh, when they were working in one of the tribes there, that if somebody came up and slapped you on the side of the head, they were showing that they were excited for you. I never knew that that's what my dad was doing. You know, 
I always thought it was correction and just trying to get my attention. Okay. But, but in our world, we think, okay, just a smack. That's what the world might say, maybe. That's not what we as Christians do. We as Christians say, I am going to follow God's word to properly discipline. And so in doing this, I need to keep a couple things in mind. Okay, about disciplining the children. Number one, I'm not going to get through all this, but get, get the first two really important ones. Number one, your child's disobedience or disrespect. How is it classified by God? It is sin. It is not just boy behavior, two-and-a-half-year-old behavior, or teen behavior. It is, according to the Word of God, God orders them to respect and obey you. If they don't do it, it is sin. Your cute little child who is having a temper tantrum to get their way, that's an act of rebellion and sin. Let it sink in. This is sin. We've got to challenge sin. You allowing or excusing it or ignoring such conduct that they don't listen to you, that they just continue. You tell them, kids, you need to quiet down. Stop throwing the football through around the house. You're going to break something. Stop it. And they just keep on. They keep on. You raise the decibels a little bit, and it keeps on. It keeps on. And then you just say, ah. And you ignore their disobedience. What it does is it's teaching them it's okay to disobey you and to disobey God. You are teaching them that they don't need to obey you, therefore they don't need to obey God. You're training them by a lack of, act- of action. And, let, let, this, let this really sink in, it is disobedience on your part. It is disobedience to God on your part. You are to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And if you say, I'm too tired, I'm too preoccupied, I don't want to do this, it's too much effort, I love them too much, you are violating God's commandments to you to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Have you ever thought that through? By my excusing... My kid's disobedience and giving an excuse for not correcting it, I am disobeying God. I'll state this one and we'll have to stop. Some form of correction is right to do. Yes, no? Okay. Is it biblical to correct your child? Yeah, okay. Just God does it. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. God commands it. Here we go. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Do you know what foolishness is? It's not childishness. It's not immaturity. Foolishness, the word in the Hebrew, means to deceive, to get by deception. Here's another verse. He that spares the rod hates his son, but he that loves him chastens him betimes. Can I give you a more modern, updated version of this? He who spares his rod hates his son. He who loves him disciplines him promptly or early. 
Here's another verse that, that has this side. Do not withhold correction from a child. If you beat him with the rod, he will not die. If you beat him with the rod and deliver his soul from hell. Now we understand that this idea of beating with the rod, that was, sounds very harsh. But in their culture, the beating with the rod was a comparison to what we call as a, as a, as a spanking. Even as I've illustrated to you, in, when we were in the Far East, they would use the idea of beating it sounded that way to us, but it just meant correcting, like a, like a hand slap or a, you know, a, a rump spank. But they use the term that sounds much more harsher, but that's the concept of just a spanking. Chasten your son while there is hope. Do not set your heart on his destruction. The rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings his shame to his mother. Correct your son. He will give you rest. Yea, he will give delight to your soul. The Bible advocates the idea of challenging and correcting sinful behavior on the part of your child, lest you sin. And so you say, okay, what do I do? How do I go about this? You know, God even says your fathers did this. They did it for your, your, your benefit, but I'm going to do it even more for greater benefit. So we want to talk about this, pick up in the next time that we get into this, is how to discipline a child biblically. There is, the verses we just read, we're going to go back and review those verses. There is so much there. But keep in mind that God wants you to develop a righteous child with a relationship with rules that are being enforced that is going to help you to soften their spirit, bring them to a point where they're going to have to make a decision. They have to make it on their own. But it's going to foster more of an attentiveness to the Word of God. In fact... God is still in the business of saying, I discipline sin. Some people will say this to me. They say, but God is merciful. God overlooks sin, so I as a parent want to be merciful. This is what we're doing right now. This demonstrates God does not overlook any sin. True? Somebody paid for the sin. Somebody paid for it. And his mercy is somebody took the penalty for it. And we're going to celebrate that, that mercy, that grace that God showed. But we're going to remember that as we celebrate this in these next moments, we need to be very conscientious we do it with the right spirit.